Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Sony Music Presents Time to Talk. I'm your host, Sean Sennett, and this week my very special guest is Brad Cox. Brad has just released his second album, My Mind's Projection. You might know Brad from the single Short Live Love, Give Me Tonight, Remedy, Lake House, or Drinking Season. He won the Star Maker title in 2018, and people put him under the country banner, but he's much more than that. I love the new album, and you can hear a mix of country, rock, blues. He's a terrific storyteller and singer. He's also very down-to-earth and honest about who he is. You'll hear that for yourself in a moment. It's my pleasure to talk to him. Here he is, Brad Cox. I think this is the first podcast I've ever done. Oh, brilliant. Well, I'm so pleased you're on, mate. Should be good. I'm an avid podcast listener. Well, you do a lot of driving. I've been looking at your tour dates. You're all over the place, aren't you? Yeah, it's nuts, man. It's been crazy. Um, I'm definitely not complaining. Um, you know, there's a lot of music I was not working, so we've been really lucky. This uh, this record, you know, we should jump right in and talk about the new album. I mean, it's very exciting to make a second record. Um, just to give people some background, though, I mean, you did so well in 2018 with all the recognition you got with the Lake House and, of course, the Golden Guitars. People think you've come out of nowhere, but that's never the case, is it? No, mate. How, where did you first get into music? How did it all start for you? Well, for me, it started just singing in the car, mate. Um, you know, I was I was a kid and my dad was a local swimming coach in Jindabyne. And every weekend we'd drive down the coast um, to go to swimming carnivals, which was a few hours in the car. And I think we had four tapes. It was Joe Cocker, Shania Twain, a Garth Brooks one, and the Commitment soundtrack. And just as a little four or five-year-old kid, I just started singing heaps in the car. And then uh, from there, um, my parents got me uh, piano lessons when I was really young, maybe six or something, and uh, joined, the, joined the primary school choir, and I've kind of been singing ever since. That's all you need, Joe Cocker and the Commitments and Shania Twain, right? Dude, what a, what a childhood. <laughs> I guess those were the days, too, when uh, people really listened to albums rather than just tracks. Definitely. Definitely, and I think that's definitely carried for me as well, you know. I'm always yelling at my friends to stop listening to singles and listen to a body of work as an album. Like, you know, friends will send me music that I've never heard before and I'll listen to the song and then realise it's on a record and go and listen to the album. It's a great album and they still haven't still haven't heard the rest of the album because, you know, it's such a singles culture we live in. Well, you've made a great record. I mean, you've very much made an album that feels like it's got a beginning, a middle and an end which, of course, is the, the second album, the, what they call the difficult second album in the business. How long were you uh, writing songs for? How long were you sort of putting ideas away for this record? Um, for this record, not a whole great deal of time, mate. Um, I kind of finished writing the first record in 2017, and it's kind of just a snapshot of that time between, yeah, finished writing that one and this one. Um, so there's a bunch of songs that are kind of, yeah, two years old and, there's a couple of songs on there that I, you know, wrote in November, got home and jumped straight in the studio and jammed on the on the record kind of last minute because they, they felt good. And you, of course, recorded this one with Matt Fell again too, who worked on the first record with you. I did, mate. It was a totally different experience. Um, you know, when I first went in to do the, the first album, you know, I had no idea what I was doing in a studio. I'd spent only a little bit of time in recording studios and never really worked with a professional producer. And, uh, you know, I, I was nervous and I didn't really know what I was doing. But this second record, you know, Matt and I became really good mates uh, and I figured out how he worked and we worked really well together and things like that. So, uh, 
you know, was a totally different experience being able to, you know, approach this record knowing how Matt worked and things like that. So it was it was really cool. The thing I really like about the record is, uh, before we get down to the songs, the different textures in the album. It's rocking, it's bluesy, and it's funny you mentioned that Commitment soundtrack as a kid. I can hear, you know, some New Orleans kind of brass in there, soul music. Definitely. Yeah, man, it's, um, you know, there's no real genre specific. There's no, it's not, a, and it's not a catalogue album like these, the, the songs aren't all about one kind of theme. It's just, it really is just a snapshot of songs that I've written, things that I've done and experienced and felt in the last three years. And, you know, what I think, I think Australian country music especially needs some kind of, you know, broader um, influence in country music, you know. I'm a huge fan of Sturgill Simpson who put out a record a few years ago called um, A Sailor's Guide to Earth, which is just such a phenomenal country record. But, you know, if you weren't a country fan, you're going to love that record if you're a musician or if you're a music lover with the horn sections in it and all that kind of kind of stuff and I really wanted to kind of you know I know my fans will love it um but I think this album is kind of opening the doors to a lot you know a lot more fans other than country potentially yeah I agree with you it's kind of a pretty broad church that you work in isn't it it's not uh you know it's not a cowboy hat country record by any stretch of the imagination no that's right when I was hearing Remedy um for example uh with Adam Eckersley playing on there and singing with you I thought this could be a cold chisel track of course I never thought about it like that but yeah definitely definitely yeah and I certainly thought the guitar playing I thought it sounds like Mossy in there oh Adam Adam will think that's a great compliment <laughs> it is absolutely absolutely so it, it, it sounds like when you're writing songs you really don't give two hoots about genre. You're just sort of thinking about what's best serves the song, what instrumentation works best for this track. Definitely. And I think, you know, I never try to even write a song, let alone produce a song for a radio or for the label or anything like that. You know, I write a song because I need to write a song. I write a song because I like a song. Um, and, you know, when I do it, I know or if I believe in it and I enjoy this and I think it's good music... 90% of the time my fans will as well and you know that's that's all that matters they're the people that you know keep me in this game and keep me out there every weekend and still writing songs is because the fans love it and turn up and if that's working I'm not really going to change it <laughs> we were lucky enough to talk to Bruce Springsteen last week about his new record and oh man he mentioned once actually during the songwriting process for the album sometimes he hits a great title he mentioned Darkness to the Edge of Town or The Rising and boom, the opportunity to write a really good song comes out of that. I look at some of your titles, Drinking Season, etc. Do you often start with a title and go, okay, where can I take this? More often than not, I start with an idea or a title but they always change. Um, the way I write songs is, is more like if I have an idea, like I'll write it down but then I might just think about it for six months at different times on a plane you know, in the middle of a song playing a gig, I'll just kind of just kind of stew on that kind of idea and then I don't, I don't f like, kind of force out that song. Like, I know it could be a great song, but I kind of let it marinate until the opportunity feels right to kind of pen it out. And nine times out of ten, the idea changes completely. But, but that idea was the initial, you know, kickstart that kind of got us onto the track of that, that song. 
But when you say the idea changes completely, do you mean like the melody or the structure or, or even the lyrics themselves? Yeah, all of it, mate. The lyrics, um, you know, the the vision, the perspective, the the direction of the song. You know, for instance, like, you know, completely hypothetical if it's a breakup song and I think about it and think about it and it turns into a... It turns into a great love song, you know, the completely opposite idea, but just that stewing on one idea kind of in the right moment flares another direction kind of thing. So, yeah, all of it can change. I mean, I love short-lived love. Um, I think we've all felt that. Um, it can be a real kick in the pants. Uh, does writing a song uh, make things better for you? Does Is it like a release when you should put pen to paper? Yeah, it definitely does. Obviously, like, that's a pretty, you know... You, you drew a fine line between, you know, very personal things and then releasing it to the world. But for me with that song, I was just, I was so dumb. I was being such an idiot, just like, stewing on this woman and whatever. And it was, it was kind of as soon as I got the song out and it was probably a couple of weeks later that I was like, oh, that's done now. Like, I don't need to, I don't need to hang on to this anymore kind of thing. Although the lyrics are saying, you know, like the only thing that's going to help me is getting her back. But even just putting that out there, it's like instantly it's like, oh, well, I was wrong. And we're, you know, I can I can move on and the next door opens kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm sure if the record goes gold too, which it will make you feel much better as well. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> We spoke about the idea of an album and how you like to tell a full story. How many songs do you need to get 12 good ones? Mate, everyone's different and, you know, I don't I don't really like to admit this because the thing is that people do is they write 50 songs for a 10-song album and they choose the best ones, but I don't do that. I just, if I, if it's, you know... I work on it and I only <laughs> I only write songs that I want to release kind of thing and it's a really strange thing and that might change in the future I think it will as I do more songwriting and co-writing but you know when I'm when I'm writing by myself or with people that I love and are, that are close to me and I write with all the time you know for these I think what's there 12 or 11 songs on the record I think I might have written 14 maybe um so, yeah, I just, I kind of, and I think that's where that stewing thing comes from is because I don't try and get it out there and go, oh, that's that's not quite cutting it, I'll try something else. I kind of stew on it for a long time until I kind of know where it's going to sit um, in a in this project is kind of the way I did this one, yeah. As I said, that might change, and I hope it does because I, I love writing songs and I love writing more songs and more, and since I finished writing this record, I've probably written another two. So that 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 will probably be the... Okay, now we have 25 songs that I've written and find the best ones for the next record. I think so that will change. It's not unusual what you're saying. I, you know, you talk to people like Robert Force or even Neil Finn, it's like they work on a very small amount of songs, but they obviously uh, been doing it long enough to discard an idea before they invest too much time in it. Definitely. So they might have discarded 50 ideas before they actually get the guitar out. Yeah, I'm, and I'm the same. You know, I might write a chorus and go, nah, this isn't working. I'll never bin it. I'll, I'll park it back in the ideas book, but I won't. I won't bust myself to try and finish that song because I know it's not gonna. You know, at that moment in time, it's not ready to be written. If that makes any kind of hyperlogical hyperlogical sense, <laughs> it does. You know, you mentioned earlier uh, your kid doing piano lessons. Um, 
where did you go from there? Did you start school bands? Were you talent competitions? What was your path? Well, actually, uh, I started a little high school band in year seven. I was playing drums and singing, and my best mate was playing guitar, and another friend of ours was playing bass, and I think the first eight songs we learnt were all ACDC songs, (laughs) as most year seven bands probably do. And we played a few, like, school discos and things like that, and um, what happened, I think, is that the guitarist... Um, who's my best mate in the whole world? Uh, I think he lent me a guitar, and I learned a few chords when we were, you know, I was fourteen or something. And within about six months, I was playing a cover gig in the pub and getting paid for it. Um, and then he kicked me out of the band because I'd gone and played guitar and made some cash at the at the pub playing playing his guitar. Um, so he kicked me out of the band and we, uh, we weren't mates for a little while because I thought that was pretty rubbish. Um, obviously it all turned out <laughs> all good as adults. Um, but yeah, from there, mate, 14 years old, I was, you know, within probably 12 months, I was doing three cover gigs a week and probably making more money than most 15 year olds, um, going to school and working at McDonald's. So yeah, and I pretty much just played cover gigs for, Oh, good, good eight years as much as I could um, from there, yeah. Now, what was that band called in high school? They've all got great names, haven't they? Oh, I think it changed a few times. At one stage, it was Eddie Doorknob and the Bath Mats. I like that. Or something, something similar. But, yeah, I think it was a few variations of stupid things like that. <laughs> oh, I like that. That's a good one. That might come back. Um, I, think that, I think that came from his granddad, yeah, Eddie Doornob and the Bath Mats. <laughs> so talking of good names, where did that come from, the name of the album? My mind's projection. Well, I, I, wrote, this, I wrote this song, man. I was coming back from Perth. I was on tour with Adam Eckersley and Brooke McClymont and I was coming back from Perth. We basically played shows all the way across to to Perth and then we played in Perth and we had a week later we had a show in Wagga or Tamworth or something, which is back on the other side of the country. And they had their little girl with, with, um, with them and Adam's mum and dad and they were kind of going to poke along back across the Nullarbor. And I was a bit like, oh, well, seen the Nullarbor once, seen it a hundred times, it's a big long straight road. So I was like, bugger it, I'll just punch it back as quick as I can and go and see some friends in, in Hay in New South Wales. And uh, I left Perth at 2 o'clock in the morning and I drove for 20 hours or something like that and I was in the middle of the desert. I actually pulled up and got the swag out for a sleep. It was the middle of winter and it's quite cold out there. And I got in the swag and I just couldn't get warm and couldn't get to sleep, so I thought, bugger it, I just rolled that swag back up, threw it back in the car and... Kept driving and never stopped until I got to to Hay, which is about, oh, I can't remember, it's about 3,600 kilometres or something like that, which is so stupid. But what happened is I actually started hallucinating really bad. Now, I know that's ridiculous and dangerous and very stupid, but I just read a book um, after hearing a bloke named Matthew Walker, I think his name is, on Joe Rogan podcast, who's a sleep scientist. And I read his, I bought his book and read it. And I kind of, in that podcast and in his book, he under, he kind of explained that, you know, when you stay up for too long and, you know, and don't go to sleep, you start dreaming while you're awake. And it's like your brain releasing all this stuff it needs to release. 
but because you haven't been to bed, it started, that's what you're hallucinating is when you haven't been to sleep. So I started seeing these crazy, crazy things like the highway turned to, you know, hardwood timber floors and uh, timber floorboards. And I don't know if you've ever seen a big concrete grain silo on the side of the road, but like it, they were just bordering the, the road for like kilometres and kilometres, like where usually you'd see two together kind of thing. And I don't know if you've ever heard of a bloke called Milo Yiannopoulos. He's like this very, he's a gay uh, right-wing political commentator. Very controversial, very amusing. Um, But for some reason, the, the windscreen turned into his big black sunglasses and I was like driving through Milo's face and... Like, I, I was so vivid, like, I could see the cracks in his lips and there was a hand walking across the top of the car which with just a hand cut off at the wrist. And as I said, I know how stupid and dangerous it was, but because I kind of understood what was going on, I was, like, hyper-aware that I was like, I really need to focus on the road, but also this really weird, cool stuff's going on. And it was just a really kind of euphoric experience that I'll probably never forget ever um, just from staying awake too long and, and that's where the song comes from That's probably why it doesn't make any sense Because I don't explain that I stayed up for so long But yeah, I was just seeing all these crazy, you know halluc- Psychedelic hallucinations and stuff But it was a really peaceful kind of experience Yeah, I know, it sounds crazy But that's uh, that's kind of where the song came from And I thought it was a really cool title to to put on the on the record because the album is kind of a snapshot of the last three years of my life and what I've been up to. So my mind's projection kind of just fitted really well. I've got to ask, when, when did you decide to pull over? Well, I got to I got to my friend's place at Hay and then kind of, yeah, collapsed and went to sleep for a while. <laughs> As I said, I know it. I know it's so dumb and I, yeah, and usually, like I do big drives and have done for many years, you know, Sydney to Darwin in two days and I always pull over, like I know my limit. But, uh, you know, that one, it was just, it just, things started happening and I understood why, why it was happening. So I wasn't afraid of, you know, anything what was going on but yeah it was a crazy thing i will probably never do it again but i'll never forget it that's for sure no that's right it's kind of like you had the lsd trip without the lsd well that's right that's right and people probably going oh but he was on drugs or whatever but i, I honestly wasn't i just stayed awake for 36 hours that's amazing yeah mm. hey talking about time on the road you've been doing a few gigs lately so you're obviously just getting in the car and driving a lot how have they been going for you? Yeah, well, uh, we've been up in... This is obviously the, the drinking season unplugged stuff you've been doing. Yeah, of course. So uh, they've been great, mate. It's very different. You know, I don't have the band with me. I had to learn how to play an acoustic guitar again, which is strange. Um, excuse me. Um, and there's small rooms and we're doing multiple shows in, you know, particular cities. But, mate, we didn't work for so long. Um, I think... We're excited to be playing gigs, Sammy, Sammy White and I. Sammy's my girlfriend. She's opening the show. Um, every single person that's at a gig is just so pumped to be there. They're happy to sit down, obviously, with the rules in New South Wales still. Um, they're happy to sit down and, and and listen rather than carry on and jump around like an idiot um, just because, you know, everyone's been so deprived of live music. So 
We've been selling heaps of T-shirts. Everyone wants to support us and buy our merch because, you know, a lot of people are like, I kept my job, so I want to help you out. And it's been really, really cool, really busy. Like, for not working for so long, this has been the probably the most, you know, as many shows in the smallest amount of time that I've, I've ever done, which I'm definitely not complaining about. But it's been, yeah, it's been really great, really different but really great. How did you cope during uh, COVID lockdown? Because obviously your record was going to come out early. You were going to be on the road doing tours. Was that a big adjustment for you? Definitely. Well, I got the shits for a while. I smoked heaps of weed and played the bloody PlayStation for a few weeks because um, I had the shits. But uh, after that, I actually I went, oh, I've got to, I got to get out of Newcastle, get out of town. I went out west and jumped on a tractor for a few months which I've, I've done lots of, you know, rural contracting and the guys out in Walgett were sowing. They were putting a crop in the ground for the first time in a few years because it rained. Um, so I went out there and did a bit of work and kind of cleared my head and for, I, I forgot about music for a little while, for, for a few months, which I really needed because, you know, like we were just doing this thing, the tours were getting big and all this stuff and the record and, you know, it was just like a brick wall and there was no one to blame for it. Um... So it was good to kind of just go out there, get back to a normal life and, uh, you know, relax and just kind of do some work, you know, sit on a tractor and work. And then when I actually, when I finished that up, I, I joined Sammy in, in Townsville um, for a few months after that. And I was kind of motivated to go, right, oh, well, I can't be in Nashville. Let's try this Zoom thing. Let's start writing songs again and that kind of thing. Um, once I'd kind of had that time to to be cranky with the world for a little while, so yeah, it was t- it was tough, man. But you know, as I said, there's no one to blame. I had me a little tantrum and uh, and got over it, and we moved on. I would imagine you do a lot of writing on those tractors. Well, sort of a lot of thoughts to process, right? I think that's where I learned to do that. As I was explaining, that stewing on things, you know, like you sit on a tractor for anywhere from twelve to at times fifteen, sixteen, seventeen hours a day. And uh, as I said, not so much writing, but that's a perfect opportunity to do that, stewing on ideas and really think over, you know, what what a song title could become or what a, you know, a yarn you've heard or an experience someone's told you to kind of create into a song when the time is right. So, yeah, it definitely, definitely helped me in the early days and, and it definitely did when I was out there in uh, May or April whenever I was out there too, yeah. Ironically, it's happy hour and I'm feeling down. I, I like, you know, those lyrics from Wasted Time. You obviously get... That's a great, uh, that's a great lyric. Jackson, the guy I wrote that with, actually wrote that that lyric. And it was probably, he, he wrote that song in a, from a different perspective. And, and I, I grabbed him and I said, man, I really want to rework this song and, and, and um, do it from my, my perspective. And he was, he was into it for sure. And I think that, that lyric... Um, was one of the reasons why I love that song. He's a great, great, great lyricist, and yeah, I think that that particular moment in that song kind of grabbed me, and I was like, oh, I really want to rework this. It, it sounds like with all your songs, there's got to be a big element of truth in there, hasn't there? Like even that line, like you referenced before, "The light in the rearview mirrors my mind's project." Blame it on the 37 hours since I hit my bed, um, which described for the title track. It's it's like if the songs don't have that element of truth, I guess you can't sing them as well. Well, that's right, mate. I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, pretending to to you know be anyone. I'm not, and as a you know, 
my fans love songs that I believe in. And it seems to be working, and I'm not going to change that for any bastard, you know what I mean? So it's, uh, you know, it's definitely truthful, and that's a tough thing sometimes. That's a real, real tough thing to do is, you know, pour your heart out of, you know, in truthful nature to God knows who's going to hear it. Um, but that's the game I got into, and that's what I love about it as well all the same time. You know, um Trusting your instincts and knowing what people like and what you like has definitely worked with um, with Matt Fell, your producer, because you decided to go back and do the second record with him. And I was sort of wondering how that relationship works. Do you play him demos off your phone or do you sit there and, you know, strum them out? Are there, do you do big arrangements on songs before you give them to him? No, not at all. The first two points, yes. Yeah, do, show him demos and then we chat through ideas and, you know, what I think could work, what he think could work. Um, other than one song where I really had a clear vision on production, which was Short Lived Love, um, I really wanted that to be a real beautiful, melodic kind of verse into a huge pop, smack you in the face kind of chorus. Um, other than that, we kind of just work together over time and slowly build the track um, with a with a you know some kind of end vision in mind, but not sticking to it too much. And they and it always changes. Um, so yeah, it's it's really great being able to work with Matt again because I think I said before like I was so uncomfortable the first time because I didn't know what I was doing. But as we got mates, you know, for this second record, we were friends. I know how he worked. I was much more comfortable going, oh Matt, what about this? Throwing ideas around. I don't like that, you know, kind of thing. So it was a totally different experience. And do, do you guys um, sort of work on it one song at a time? And the reason I'm asking that is because the record does sound so different uh, in terms of styles and moods. No, not really. From memory, we kind of, like, for instance, if Taco, my guitar player, was coming in, he'd come in and I'd he'd come in for a day and we'd go, oh, we want you to play this bit on this song and this bit on this song. And, yeah, we kind of built them slowly over, uh, yeah, over time, you, you know, working slowly on each song rather than finishing off one and then the next and then the next. Um, that's the way I've done both the first records. The third might be different. Say if we did it in Nashville with a live live tracking band as they do over there, it might be a different story. But, yeah, that was the way we did this one. So what's it like when you finish? You put your feet up on the studio desk and crack open a cold one and uh, sit back and listen? Well, yeah, but the thing is it's never really finished. <laughs> um Ah. So, yeah, I definitely did that because I, I didn't go into the studio for four weeks or three weeks and do this record. I kind of did, you know, probably over 12 to 18 months. I did, you know, a week here and a week there and two days here and three days here, which ultimately was, uh, you know, it's definitely a long way of doing it. But I think for me it lets me kind of sit with and live with the songs as they are, as they slowly build and... Same thing again, that stewing on it and thinking about it and that kind of thing. But with the, yeah, with the, the end of uh, end of album beers, it, you know, as I said, it never really, it never really ends until you get it off to mastering. There's always, oh, we could just do, we could just, what about if we, could it be better if we, um, but I'm definitely not, uh, you know, with the final masters on this record, I definitely think we've got the best project that, that we could create for the time, and, and I'm really proud of it. So, yeah. No, you should be proud. It's a great record. And the the thing, um, obviously, too, uh, there's celebration in there and there's sadness in there as well. And obviously, um, 
song like Caught in a Noose by a Stranger is pretty heavy duty kind of song. A lot of sort of stuff about mental health in the record as well. Yeah, it's, um, as I said, mate, it's just a snapshot. It's heaps of things I've felt and seen and done and heard and felt again, um, all kind of rolled into one. I think, yeah, Corner Noose, especially hold me back. You know, I'm not a person that's susceptible to, you know, mental health uh, struggles. I definitely sympathise with it and I've had a lot of mates and I'm very passionate about different things and uh, organisations. But it was just, that one was just kind of highlighting that, you know, even for someone like me, like, you still got to battle that, that voice. Everyone does, you know, and people, you know, some people are more susceptible to succumbing to that kind of, you know, that voice, they can't overcome it, whereas we all get it, and I just go, fuck off, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm just, and that's all I was kind of highlighting with that with that song, is like, we all have that, and some people are just better at, at pushing it down and pushing back um, kind of thing. So, yeah, there's all that kind of stuff uh, on the record, and it is. It's There's so many different themes and genres that surely there's something for everyone in there. How are things looking overseas for you? I imagine this is getting released right around the world. It is. Uh, and I honestly have no idea. The numbers look good. You know, they, you get up on the Spotify and it's like, you know, this many things in Chicago and Atlanta and Nashville and, um, you know, but I honestly have no idea. I get some messages every now and then say, come and play a show in New York or come and play a show here. Uh, have, you, have you done gigs overseas before? Have you taken the band to... Um, not, the states particularly? N- not yet. The plan was to do it this year. Obviously, that's not gone ahead. Um, I've done a few just little riders rounds, like the Bluebird Cafe and stuff like that in Nashville. Um, but no, that's the that's the next kind of project is trying, trying. You know, I don't think Americans will really get the music until they see me and the boys carry on on stage and play it live. So I, for me, that's the that's the goal. As soon as that can happen, we'll. Uh, We'll be over there. Well, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? You know, the modern world, you can be sitting on a tractor and there's four million people around the world have been streaming your songs. It's crazy, isn't it? I actually love it though, mate. Like even, you know, I've, I've bought a new car now, but when uh, when I signed with Sony, which was such a great thing, and we, the next morning I get out there and, you know, there's the black car with the, you know, the fella to drive me to go and see this interview and that interview and which is all fantastic, and they dropped me back at the beautiful hotel that we stayed in, and I got in my 1990 Ford Falcon station wagon and scooted back up the highway to Newcastle. <laughs> but I love that. That's who I am, mate. You know, I love doing the doing the cool things and, you know, the parties and whatever goes on and go back to the, you know, driving. I used to call it the meth wagon because it was a beat-up old station wagon, jump back in the methy and cook it back up the highway, blow smoke the whole way. <laughs> So what's your PlayStation game of choice these days? Have you got through that funk? Well, I play, uh, I've been playing Call of Duty. I've got a couple of games now, that Tony Hawk. But when lockdown first happened, I actually didn't own a PlayStation. So in March, I rang seven JB Hi-Fis in Newcastle and they were all sold out and I found one that had, a, had one left about an hour away. So I was like, hold it for me. I'm coming to get it because I've got nothing else going on at the moment. <laughs> Cooked down there and picked up a PlayStation. <laughs> Isn't that great? Listen, in terms of your music, are you playing every day? Is that something you sort of just reach for a guitar every day or do you do it when you feel it? You know what? I don't. 
I don't, you know, we got we played last night being Sunday night, and we got another show um, Friday, and I, it's just been such a hectic kind of three weeks on the road, and I've got these couple of days off. I probably won't touch my guitar till Thursday, and I'll put new strings on it and have a bit of a strum. Um and then and then go back to shows, but yeah, I'd, I'm definitely I'd love to be someone that sits down and plays guitar for you know five hours a day, but it's just not me. I love music, I love listening to music, I love writing music, and I think about music all the time. But and I'm not a guitar player. I'd, I'd tell everyone that you know I'm not a guitar nerd. I'm never going to be a guitar nerd. I'm not into it. I play guitar; it's a tool. Um, but you know, for me, it's it's writing songs and being an artist rather than nerding out over being the best guitar player in the world. Well, Brad, it's worked out for you, mate, because the record's fantastic. I love it. I, I've played a lot over the weekend, and it's it's one of those things where somebody said to me that a record's got to be two sides and have three chapters through it. You've done that. There's a lot of depth in there, so congratulations. Oh, thanks so much, mate. Obviously, I haven't had any feedback other than the label and my management, so it's really great to hear... You know, they've sent you the record and you're loving it. So I've, that's that's the, that's one of the exciting things about releasing music is, you know, I've lived with this for, you know, two years slowly as it builds and that kind of thing. But it's just such a cool part of the process to finally have a few people hearing it and hearing that they dig it. So I, I really appreciate that, mate. It's a great feeling. Uh, big thanks to Brad Cox for joining us today on Sony Music Presents Time to Talk. He's a great artist and I recommend you checking out his latest album, My Mind's Projection. And also keep your eye on his website too for tour dates. And thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Sean Sennett, and we'll see you back here again very soon. <laughs>